0: Hello, and welcome to NAIS Member Voices. I'm Scott Donaldson, and today I'll be speaking with Margie Murphy, Director of Curriculum and Instruction at Sacred Heart Schools in Chicago, Illinois. Margie, welcome to Member Voices.
1: Thank you. I'm delighted to be here.
0: Thanks. Well, happy to have you. Uh, So you are actually the first director of curriculum and instruction that I've spoken with on the podcast, which is really exciting. Can you tell us a little bit more uh, about your journey to this role? Did you always see yourself in this role? Was this always the plan?
1: Um, Definitely not always the plan. I started out as a high school teacher, Spanish. And when I was in graduate school, I was working on my master's degree. And one of my very last courses was on curricular leadership and uh, the text that we used in the course was called creating a curriculum that works by lorraine ozar and that really lit the spark for me i did my master's thesis on uh, Grant Wiggins and Jay McTighe, and that was sort of what pushed me into becoming a curriculum person. I continued to teach in the classroom, and gradually as my positions evolved, I took on more and more curricular responsibilities, both in terms of my department and also with helping my school take on some curriculum mapping and curriculum organizational initiatives. When I came here to Chicago, I was thinking about leaving the classroom, um, not teaching full-time, and it just happened that this position here at Sacred Heart for a curriculum coordinator opened up, and I started the work, and it has evolved slightly since I started in terms of now I'm the director of curriculum and instruction, but it is certainly what I love to do, and while I do miss the classroom a little bit, I also love working with, with curriculum and with teachers.
0: And what are some of the most important lessons that you've learned along the way? (laughs)
1: That's a great question. I think one of the most important lessons I've learned is understanding that even though we are all educators and we are all here because we love students and we love the work that we do, we're not necessarily all quote curriculum people. And even though talking about backward design and overarching questions and linking assessment to student outcomes really gets me excited to be able to understand that not everybody necessarily feels that way and to help them understand that it's such a critical part of our students' learning. I think being able to translate the certain aspects of curriculum and instruction into what matters for a teacher in their classroom day to day is is a really important component of that. And having empathy and understanding of where everybody in my school is coming from and what will help them most as they go through their day and their year with their students.
0: And are you uh, kind of a one woman team or do you have anybody working with you in this area?
1: Oh, this is really exciting. I started out as a one-woman team. I work in a larger school. We have about 700 students, and we're divided into three divisions from pre-K through eighth grade. And our division heads, who are sort of the de facto principals of each division, used to take care of all the curriculum as well as everything else that falls under a division heads umbrella. So they had a lot of work on their plates. When my position was created, the intent was to have a person who could really look at the articulation from pre-K to 8th grade, both vertically and horizontally, and the job started out being solely curriculum, which again is great. I absolutely love it, but it began to expand and to include our instructional coaching program. So my department includes our two instructional coaches now. It also includes our enrichment coordinator, our tech integration coaches, and our library. So all of these things, including my role, fall under the umbrella of our Department of Teaching and Learning.
0: And I did want to talk about your uh, instructional coaching program. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
1: Sure. It's really exciting. Several years ago, our school was looking at um, professional development, which is one of the key ways that our faculty learn and grow and improve upon their craft. And as we all know, there's so many wonderful professional development opportunities out there. And it's easy to go to something and come home and be so excited and so jazzed about what you've learned. But then unfortunately, the day-to-day of teaching and working in a school can get in the way. And it's really hard to find the time and the energy to implement those new practices or those new ideas that you've learned. So our school looked at the research and we found that by incorporating instructional coaching as part of the professional development that we offer on site is really a wonderful way to embed professional development on an ongoing basis and to be able to differentiate professional development and professional learning for our teachers depending on their needs and what they're most interested in. So we, as I mentioned, have two full-time instructional coaches and they work with our teachers on anything under the sun. Um, It could come under curriculum. It could be about instructional practices. It could be about using assessment to inform instruction. It could be about classroom management. It could even just be, hey, I read this article about X and I think it would be really cool to incorporate this into my classroom. Could you help me do that? So our instructional coaches work very closely with teachers on what they are interested in, what they want to improve upon and how they can constantly be improving upon their craft as educators. And I really, one thing I'd like to emphasize is our coaching program is, is very much about teachers, helping teachers uncover what it is that they would like to improve upon in themselves. And, looking at what they feel their needs are, their most pressing needs as an educator. And it's not so much about us going in and observing and saying, oh, you know what, you really need to work on your bell ringers or something like that. It's really meant to be a collaborative relationship between the coach and the teacher and a way that they can develop together. And our coaches often say that they feel that they learn just as much from the teachers as the teachers might learn from them. Hmm. Um, One easy access point, I think, for coaching is around curriculum. If you think about it, if you're a teacher and you're wondering about something within your classroom and you're teaching, it's a lot easier to start by saying, oh, I'd like to work on this new lesson that I have an idea about, as opposed to saying, please look at my practice and tell me what I might be doing wrong. (laughs) It's a very safe space to meet around curriculum. And I would say that probably the majority of the work that we do is in that regard. But that said, there's also sometimes when you're having those conversations about curriculum, other things can come to the surface, things that teachers uh, question or are wondering about or would like help with. So I think it's part of establishing that really close collaborative supportive relationship between the teacher and the coach that really provides a safe space where things can be explored that teachers might want to to get better at again i think there's there's things that come up on a annual basis too you might have some classroom management questions that come up around the beginning of the year or especially at the end of the year when you're looking at your middle schoolers but i would say that it's really kind of a a mix of what our teachers are most interested in and and how we can help them but our goal is really to to meet them where they are and to help the teachers get what they need as they're educating our students and helping our students get what they need.
0: That sounds great. Uh, What's a typical day look like for you? Do you have uh, things that you typically bookend the day with, a first thing that you do when you arrive on campus and a last thing that you do when you leave? Goodness. (laughs)
1: Goodness. <laughs> Ideally, yes. Um, actually, the first thing I do when I arrive on campus is, is very mundane, but it really helps me stay organized as I look at what are my top three things that I need to do today to accomplish, and then what are my bonus items that if I do get to them, it is fantastic. So I will say that every day is different, although I do start each day by by touching base with my schedule and, and figuring out what it is that is my top priority. So I think it really depends a lot on what we have going on. I think just as in the classroom, the academic year is very cyclical, so it is in the Director of Teaching and Learning, uh, Director of Curriculum and Instruction world. So for example, right now we're in the midst of one of our assessments that we offer three times a year. So not only am I coordinating some of the aspects of the assessment, but I'm also thinking about how are we going to unpack these results with our teachers in the next couple weeks. Again, I think it depends. At the beginning of the year, I'm doing a lot of work with setting up teachers and classes and especially with new faculty and trying to get them on board with some of our various programs that we use towards the end of the year, we're wrapping up our curriculum and touching base and seeing, okay, what would we like to do differently? What are we looking forward to for the next year? The other thing I do on a monthly basis pretty much is we have K through eight vertical subject area groups that meet every month, a group with representatives from each grade for math, ELA, et cetera. So, we decided to have them look periodically at what are some things that we see as a k through eight vertical group that need attention? Is it working on vertical articulation? Is it embedding inquiry based teaching strategies into our curriculum and social studies, for example? So that's also something that I tend to on a you know probably on a monthly or biweekly basis
0: and what's your biggest challenge right now in your role?
1: I think that Being an independent school is a wonderful thing because we are independent (laughs) and it's Mm -hmm. a blessing and a curse. And I think many of us work in independent schools because we like that freedom of being able to do our own thing and to respond in a very agile way to the needs of our students. So I think one of the challenges is when you do have a role like this, and when you have a big school and you're looking at four different classrooms per grade is saying, okay, what are our through lines in an academic sense, what do we want to stay focused on, you know, we don't have to report certain standards or we don't have to take certain state tests, but we still need to be able to be clear about what it is that we're teaching, what we want our students to learn, and our final destination, I guess. The, the way that we get to that destination can vary, but we want to make sure that we're all getting to that same point.
0: And where do you turn to for inspiration when you encounter challenges in your work?
1: I enjoy working with my department members very much, and we will meet periodically to, to share problems of practice or to look at different ideas things like that that might be things that may have appeared that we want to look more closely at. And of course, my own leadership team. I really appreciate being able to work with my division heads, with my head of school. We have a very collaborative relationship. And if anything's ever on our minds, we'll meet and and talk about it and hash it out and see what we can do.
0: What's some of the best pieces of advice that you've received either from your circle of colleagues at your school or from other individuals in your role or or even just throughout your life? Anything that sticks out?
1: Oh, goodness. That's a great question. I do think one piece of advice is don't try to do everything all at once. And I think that's a great piece that any of us can can relate to. So especially when you're starting in a new job, it's really exciting. You want to do everything. And I think as an administrator, often it's easy to forget what it's like to be an educator, to be in the classroom, and really being respectful that it's okay to make small changes. And you don't have to, to start on day one and and flip everything up down. I think really being able to understand your school, to understand your faculty, to understand your colleagues, and again, comes down to that empathy question, and when can you fit in their shoes and understand what the situation is like before you come in and make these great huge changes. Another piece of advice I've appreciated very much, and actually one of my books that I have on my bookshelf, and it's within arm's reach, is The Art of Coaching Teams by Elena Aguilar. She is a wonderful um, writer, educator out of California who really has helped shaped the mission and vision of our coaching program through her book, The Art of Coaching. And her second book, The Art of Coaching Teams, is what I would call a must read for anybody in leadership. And it has all kinds of wonderful chapters about forming your team, having a vision for your team, bingo doesn't make institutional change, some wonderful chapters like that. But her work has really been instrumental in inspiring me as a leader. And I always go back to that book, especially if I'm having a difficult time with something. And that's been a great resource for me.
0: Any other books that you're reading currently or that you've read that have really stuck with you or or maybe podcasts, something that you've listened to that you've really gotten a lot out of or enjoyed?
1: Well, the funny thing is I started listening to this podcast in preparation for this interview, and I was so excited and I thought I'm going to send this out to my leadership team and I think I'll subscribe to it so I can listen to it on a regular basis. It's hard to do. All of the reading about everything all of the time. One thing I really appreciate is the Marshall Memo by Kim Marshall, which is a great synopsis of the week's articles across different educational magazines. There's always something I find in the Marshall Memo that I will either use myself or forward on to some of my teammates. Another book that I have really enjoyed And something interesting, I think, for educators to consider is Measure What Matters by John Doerr, and it's a great way of looking at your objectives and how you're going to measure them. And I always get a little bit leery when we talk about measurement and data and objectives, in the education field because I'm very mindful that we're not the business field, but I also think that it's something that we can look into a little bit more and and hash out and explore. It's okay to, to not measure everything, but I think you still have to be able to measure some things to be able to show progress and growth. I also read a lot of fiction. I always have a bunch of fiction books on my bedside table. And of course, I can never remember the title or the authors when off the top of my head, but I love reading that just as much as I like reading books for school.
0: Yep. I can relate to that. Speaking of growth, are there ways that you would like to grow both professionally and personally in the future?
1: Sure. Um, I'm always looking, I think anytime you're in education in any sort of role, you should always be growing. And I really do feel that I grow every day and that, as I mentioned before, every day is different. And there's always going to be something that I'm looking up or learning, especially in the role of curriculum and instruction, it's impossible to be an expert on everything. So depending on what comes across my plate, it's sometimes a challenge for me to say, all right, I need to learn about something that I really don't know anything about (laughs) also Mm -hmm. coming from a high school to being in an elementary school for me was very different very interesting and you know obviously that high school students are very different from uh, preschoolers Mm -hmm. so I Mm -hmm. think that it's just this constant learning and growing in that regard and I think the day that you come to work and say okay I don't have anything else to learn I don't have anything else to any other way to grow is the day that it's time to say all right maybe it's time for me to to change and look for something else. So, but I do think that that professional growth is really a critical part of of any role in an educational institution, but especially one like this with curriculum and instruction.
0: You talked about how you you have to be empathetic, you know, in your role and with instructional coaching. Is is that something that comes naturally to you or is that something that you had to to work on?
1: I'll be honest and say it's something that I've had to work on like I mentioned earlier, with being a person who, quote, speaks curriculum, understanding that not everybody comes from that point of view. I think mm-hmm. also being a person who likes to get things done, for me, I really had to stop and take a take a breath, take a break and think about what is the best way to engage and inspire the people that I'm working with around this this initiative, whatever it is that it might be. So I think many of us who are in school administration, we are like that. We like to, to get things done and take care of business. But understanding, again, that sometimes it's going to be a slower process because we have to help meet people where they are. Not everybody is ready to do a complete revamp of backwards design curriculum. Not everybody is ready to look at the full scope of math sequencing from preschool up through middle school. So understanding where people are and meeting them there and then growing together, I think is a really key part of the work that we do. So I've had to work at slowing myself down. I've had to work at listening. I've had to work at developing that empathy muscle in my work.
0: Are there other areas or elements of your communication style that have either served you well in this role or that you've had to uh, adapt?
1: You know, I'm a great writer. I always enjoy writing things. And when I have to write an email or a letter to a parent, it's my favorite part Um, when it comes to speaking speaking. On a recorded podcast or off the cuff, it's always a little bit more challenging for me. So I do try to cop together some notes before I have a conversation like that so I can be prepared. I think also in terms of communication style, I've learned that less is often more and being succinct, but also being warm is is a key part of communicating to all of my constituencies, be they faculty members, be they students, be they parents.
0: Since you are the director of curriculum and instruction, I've been itching to ask this question. How do you personally learn best and how has that informed your approach?
1: Great question. Thank you. I think certainly having An area that I'm interested in or that I want to learn more about is really critical for me and being able to be engaged in that idea. And I think that that in turn translates to a lot of what we're trying to do with our students and if they're interested in a topic, if they're engaged with a the topic, they're going to learn more. We can't you can't help that. That's just what's going to happen. So that's always been a key piece for me. Of course, I also understand that sometimes you have to learn about something that you that you don't really care about. And I've had to do something on along those lines this year with a state Requirement that I'm learning more about and it's not glamorous and it's not sexy, but I also sometimes just have to dig deep and get into it and learn as much as I possibly can. I would say as a learner, I'm I'm. As I said, I'm a writer, so I always like to write down notes as I'm having a conversation with somebody, as I'm reading an article, especially if I'm listening to something, I always like to use different modalities and to listen and write at the same time. And again, I think that translates to how can we best meet the needs of our students and being able to provide them with, you know, not just lectures, not just notes, not just reading, but be able to to look at all those different modalities across the curriculum.
0: What's been the biggest surprise, would you say, in either the the development of this program or just in the work that you've done at your school?
1: How much I would miss being in the classroom with students. And as much as I try to get into classrooms and observe teachers and see how our curriculum looks in real life, I do miss working closely with students, so I try to find opportunities wherever I can to get into classrooms and have a little bit more of a role. I work right now with one of our kindergarten classrooms after we have a school mass or religious service, and I help the kindergartners unpack that, and it really is such a joy to be able to work one-on-one with them or work with them in the classroom. Um, They're so different from the high school students that I used to teach. And it's really a lot of fun for me.
0: And just some lighter fun questions to close out the interview. What's one thing about you that might surprise people or that few people know?
1: Hmm. (laughs) Hmm. Let's see here. One thing about me that might surprise people. Well, the funny thing is, is even though I was a Spanish teacher for 13 years, nobody here knows that I am a fluent Spanish speaker and I love to travel mm-hmm. and I try to do it as often as I can. Although, of course, with jobs and kids in school, it gets to be a little bit more complicated. But I have uh, lived in Spain and that's something that I always enjoy. It's nice at my school, we have a lot of native Spanish speakers from all around the globe. So I try to break out my Spanish whenever I can. Every now and then somebody will hear me and they'll give me sort of a funny look and say, oh, I didn't know you spoke Spanish. But that's something that's kind of new that people around here in Chicago, at least, don't know that much about me.
0: Well, Margie, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you today. Thanks so much.
1: Thank you, Scott, for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to NAIS Member Voices. You can visit nais.org slash member voices to explore resources related to my conversation with Margie, including tools to help you build a more effective team. You can also keep an eye on that page for new podcast episodes, or subscribe to automatically receive a new podcast episode each month. Please be sure to listen to each new episode and then rate and review it, and go back and listen to past episodes that you missed. Also, don't forget, we always want to hear from you. So please send your questions, comments, and suggestions for who to feature on the podcast by sending them to membership at neis.org.